Welcome to Living For Him podcast, where in every episode, you are invited to experience the joy of a life in Christ. I'm your host, CJ Cousins, and in today's episode, it is my prayer that the primary emphasis and goal of the following message is that you hear and respond to the good news about Jesus Christ and his kingdom. So whoever you are and wherever you are, thank you for joining us. I invite you to listen with an open heart, subscribe for future episodes, and stay tuned for some next steps after this message. Enjoy. Father in heaven, here we are again. Thankful so much, Lord, to you for your goodness. You watch over us, as the song just said. We can have the assurance that you're watching over us. In the midst of a world that's filled with pain and turmoil and suffering, we know that we have a God that looks at us, is with us, has our future in his hands. Thank you for that assurance today. Lord, we're inviting you today through your word spoken today that you would be clearly revealed to everyone that is gathered here today that they would come to see you, that they would come to know you, your character of love revealed in your son, Jesus. Help us, Lord, to lock in. Holy Spirit, do a work in our heart. Meet each need that everyone has that they brought with them here today. And wherever there is burdens, wherever there is any guilt, shame, whatever there is anything that's pressing on any of our minds that keeps us from locking in with you, we pray that you would release that today. You'd lift the burdens so that we can rest in Jesus today. Thank you in advance for what you're going to do as a result of this prayer. In Jesus' name, let everyone say amen. I want to invite you now to go to your Bibles. I want you to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It was always a joy and a pleasure to watch her as she would serve the children of our church in her capacity as a ministry leader in a church that I passed, that I was pastoring at, not this church. I want to just put that out there. Amen. And it was just a joy watching her as she led and as she served, she was our adventurers director. And and, And as we would watch her serve, you know, people would see the excellence through which she did her ministry, and they were blessed. Their children were happy. They were getting to know Jesus. But for some reason, I just could not understand why it seemed like she just could, for some reason, not get along with people, particularly the parents of the children that she served. And she would, you know, the, 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 the scenario would happen that, that parents would want to ask her direct questions about things that pertained to adventurers. And she was a very organized person. And so what she would simply do is just refer them to the manual that she put together. It was put together for them. And they, when they would call and ask her a question, she would say, hey, check your manual. That's why I put it together. But it was done and it was said in such a way that it just kind of kept parents at bay and made them feel a little bit away. And of course, this was me really, really early on. I'm still somewhat of a rookie pastor, but this was me really just kind of getting started in pastoral ministry. And I remember hearing a little bit of her story that this was actually a pattern that she actually had uh, 
in some previous churches that she had also attended. And it came to this, it came to a head in this one day where we were at a pastoral meeting. It was a team of us pastors, and she was present. We were all just kind of casually talking. This was not the specific subject, but she just came right out with it and said, look, essentially, here's what I want to do. I just want to come here. I want to serve the children and go home. I'm not interested in trying to nurture any relationships with anybody here in the congregation. I just want to come lead, serve those young people, those children, and go home. Essentially what she was saying, family, is I'm here, I simply just, among the church, I just want to focus on the task and not the people. Function and not relationships. And it's interesting that this kind of dynamic developed because as we get ready to go into 1 Corinthians chapter 13, this is the exact same type of thing that Paul is addressing in the church in Corinth. And so I want to invite you now, if you have your Bibles, electronic or print, go with me there. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Many of you are familiar with it as the love chapter. You've heard it spoken, parts of it at weddings. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Because this type of spirit that this lady was displaying, again, not at this church, I just want to make that very clear, but this type of spirit this lady was displaying is the kind of thing that often in churches will cause division in congregations and unnecessary strife. When there is a lack of a desire to press in and build stronger relationships with those that you might even serve with or attend and sit next to in a pew. And so Paul has the same pastoral concern. Now, if you have any familiarity with the book or the letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth in Greece, then you'll understand that he's writing to a church that has a lot of issues. For example, incest, sexual immorality, people actually denying the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, and, of course, division. And so Paul has this on his mind as he's addressing the people that are there in this congregation. Now, if you were like me growing up, and, um, and, and by the way, no, you, don't worry. It's okay. Oh, it's, it's up? Yeah? Okay. Look, thank you so much. You guys are doing a great job up there. And uh, maybe at some point I'll, I'll go there. But Paul is addressing this congregation with all of these issues. And the one particular issue that he's going to be addressing, we're going to be focusing on just one of these issues and it's in the area of spiritual gifts. Our AV has this up, and I'm just going to see if I can go ahead. I wanted to have some slides up here for you. And since they went ahead and took the time to get that going, why don't I just go ahead and set that up for us. But you are in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Now, before we get to 13, I think it's important for us to understand a little bit of the context. Everybody say context. Context is important when you're reading the scriptures. Now, if you're like me and you're growing up, you know, you would read chapters in the Bible, right? Maybe like 1 Corinthians, you'd be in chapter 12. Like, we're going to kind of overview that in a second. And while you're there, you're thinking that the writer, in this case it's Paul, has basically one thought in a chapter. And once he finishes that thought, like, for instance, chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, and he's going to move into another thought. 
in chapter 13. And then he's going to move into another thought, say in chapter 14, yes? But what you need to understand when you're reading the Bible is, is that in the original text and in your New Testament, it's good to see you, Lindsay, in the original Greek text, he does not have any divisions, chapter divisions. There's no even punctuations in the original Greek text. Okay? So, in other words, that was put there in Christian history, that was put there for ease of read and referencing. Make sense? To help us be able to quote and reference where to go in the Bible. But understand that when you're approaching now, chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, you're not dealing with uh, a, a new thought. He's going to continue the thought that he began in chapter 12. And what's the main thought? What's the, what's the heartbeat? What's the main focus of this section of scripture? Because what you're going to find, what you're going to discover is that he's continuing one thought from chapter 12 all the way to chapter 14. If you're familiar with chapter 12, then you may be familiar with the, the theme there of spiritual gifts, yes? Spiritual gifts. But because Paul is concerned about something deeper, He's going to continue the idea of spiritual gifts from 12 all the way to 14. Are you with me? But he's going to start addressing his deeper issue with spiritual gifts in chapter 12. Make sense? Okay. Now, there's a word. Mike, guys, let's just go ahead and let's not worry about it, okay? Yeah, you can go ahead and just, you can leave it blank. It's all good. So here's what he's going to do. He's going to, yes, address the issue of spiritual gifts. You're going to see that if you're kind of just curse, going right through your Bible, you're going to see chapter 12, 13, and 14, you're going to see spiritual gifts there, right? But he's got a deeper issue that he's addressing. Here's a word that's going to come up, particularly in chapter 12, as it sets the course now for where we're going to go. There's a word that gets repeated over and over and over again. And it's the word one. One. And what's going on there is where he goes into this kind of unpacking of the uh, issue of spiritual gifts, where he's really going. I don't, I, I don't want you to miss this. This is so key to how we're about to dive into chapter 13. His issue, his concern is the oneness of the church, the unity and the equality of the church. And the way he's going to now launch into this is spiritual gifts. Do you see that? You understand where I'm going now? Okay, and so, so now he's going to address unity through addressing the issues of spiritual gifts. And what's going on in chapter 12 is he first begins to discuss that the Holy Spirit is the source. Everybody say source. He's the source of all the spiritual gifts that all of them are using there in the body of Christ to serve one another. And then he's going to move into the idea that all of you are one body though you're uniquely gifted. You're one body, though you all have unique spiritual gifts to serve one another in the larger community. And then where he ends in chapter 12 is he then starts to say, hey, listen, you all need to, because you're one, you need to care for one another because you need each other. Yeah? 
And all of this is to address the issue of us being one body in Jesus Christ. One spirit, he'll say. One Lord. One baptism. We're one body even though we're all different parts of the body. Different members of the body. Gifted uniquely, but you're one. You need each other. But he says, if you think this is good, if you think what I just mentioned is good, if you think what I just described to you is at the heart of how to be one as a body, even though you have a diversity of gifts, he says, I yet still need to show you, and in your Bible, verse 31, at the end of chapter 12, I still want to show you a more or the most excellent way. Are you with me now? Because really, what he's about to talk about in chapter 13 is really beginning there in chapter 12 at the end in the last verse. He's now going to, in chapter 13, explain the most excellent way for us, those sitting around you, to be one. Even though you're uniquely gifted. I want you to hear the context now as you go into a very familiar chapter. Because the question that we're asking here, because here in this body, we are all uniquely gifted. We have a lot of, uh, we're full of gifts here in our congregation that we use to serve one another in the larger community. Amen? But maybe you've asked the question, how do we preserve our oneness in the midst of the diversity of gifts that we each have as we serve one another? What's the best way for us to accomplish this? Come with me to 1 Corinthians. The Holy Spirit will now give us instruction, will now touch our hearts and hopefully lead us deeper into what it looks like for us in all of our diversity to be one body. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, beginning in verse number 1. Here's what the Bible says, Paul speaking to the church in Corinth. He says, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not what? Love. I have become sounding brass or clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, so that I could move, remove mountains, but have not what? Love, I am nothing. But watch verse 3. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Why is Paul, as he's now going into chapter 13, why is Paul bringing up things like speaking in tongues, other languages, yes? Why is he talking about the gift of prophecy, which is very special to us in our church, yes? Why is he talking about knowledge and faith and the, someone having the gift of faith in order to even remove mountains? Why is he talking... Paul, why are you talking about someone that, that is generous and even gives to the poor? Paul, why are you talking about someone who has the gift, which they say you can only use once, of martyrdom? Why is he talking about those things? Why? Why is he beginning that way in chapter 13? Because he's still talking about spiritual gifts. He's still continuing the thought that he had in the previous chapter. But he's saying, here's the point. You can be gifted to do all of those things. 
You can have the most successful ministry in the local church that you're a part of, but if you have not love, it's meaningless. It's pointless. You can even die as a martyr, and heaven would go, ah, well, wow, that was a waste. If you have not love, what's the point, Paul says? Is quiet right now. Is that, is that coming to your pew? That's okay. It came, it, it, this touches me too. You see, the idea here that Paul is saying is that if we're going to preserve our oneness in the midst of all of our spiritual gifts, he says then serving without love is meaningless. That's what he's saying. That's the first point. Serving without love is meaningless. Now, can we just be, can we, can we talk some real talk this morning? Is, is, is that okay? Okay. Because there's something that I think we need to, as the body of Christ, we need to talk about more from up here and amongst each other and in our homes. What he's bringing out right here is very much like those that approach the gift of sex in marriage as just an act, casual sex, people might just say. And what happens is when we reduce that gift to merely an act, you'll hear those, that type of language in the broader world and society. Are, are you following? Oh, it was just sex. You, you, you ever hear that? What he's saying here is very much like that type of expression. Oh, it's just when God gave it as a holy, beautiful, and perfect gift before sin to a husband and a wife to be something that actually reflects the oneness in the Godhead. And as the body of Christ, we need to reclaim that particular subject and other things and actually present to the world what God actually intended. Because he made it good. He made it beautiful before sin. And what happens when we don't have that conversation on this particular thing, what happens is the world takes it, runs with it, perverts it, and it becomes that forbidden fruit that people kind of run after. And guess what? In what God actually intended in this particular area, people are out there having a subpar experience. How many of you actually believe that? Because what God actually intended was far better. Why? Because what God is actually wanting to accomplish in marriage is a window into what he has intended, not only for all humanity, but what he's experiencing within the Godhead, which we're going to talk about a little bit more in a second. And so if we don't have love, then the acts that we do become meaningless. The things that we do to serve one another, to serve our children, to serve the community, become meaningless, empty. When Paul begins to unpack love, many of us have ideas of what love is, yeah? We describe love mainly as a, a emotion, a choice, a principle. You ever hear these things? And Paul is saying love is the active principle that's flowing through each of us through the Holy Spirit. The Bible will say in Romans chapter 5, verse 5, that the Holy Spirit pours the love of God into your heart through the Holy Spirit. How do I get this love that Paul is talking about? Because I don't want what I do to be pointless. I don't want it to be meaningless. Well, guess what, guys? The way that you get the love of God in your heart is not by trying to love harder. 
You can't, you can't white knuckle and grit your teeth and say, I'm just going to dig in and just love people. It doesn't work that way. How do we get God's love in our hearts? Here's how you do it. How you get God's love in your heart, Ellen White will say in The Desire of Ages that it's by love that love is awakened. It's by love that love is awakened. You need to see the love of God for you on a daily basis intentionally as you're going through Scripture. Look for that centrally, especially as it's revealed in Jesus and what he did for you at the cross. As you do this, then the love of God through the Spirit begins to actually be awakened inside your heart, first for God and then for each other. That's the true north of the Bible student. That's the thing that you're looking for centrally in every one of our beliefs. That's the thing that you're looking for in every story. How is God's character of love unfolding there? And oh my goodness, he's not just displaying that and dispensing and demonstrating that love for the children of Israel or for the church in the New Testament. He means that for me. And this is why in the Ten Commandments, it begins, first four commandments, love to God, and then last six, love to one another, because I can't love you if I don't first see how deeply God loves me, and then I love him back, and then it spills over into the other people that are in my life. And so how do I get God's love? I need to see it on display daily in the scripture. Are you there every morning? Are you reading and meditating? And I encourage journaling through scripture daily to be with Jesus, how you start your day really sets the tone for your day. A lot of things can happen to us during our day that we can't control, but we can control our orientation to what happens in our day. And Jesus, the reason the New Testament, he gets up early to be with the Father is because he doesn't know in his humanity, of course, he chose to do this in his incarnation, I wish I had time. He doesn't exactly, he's taking his cues from the Father. So he needs to be really, practically from a mental health standpoint even, you got to get your mind right. By setting your day up right, by beholding his love revealed and unfolding through the scripture and especially in Christ. For you. And seeing how that applies to you. But, but, but a lot of us have a lot of ideas about what love is and Paul understands that as well. And so Paul begins to now go on to define what kind of love this is. Go with me in verse number eight. Actually, verse number four. Verse number four. And this is the part that we probably hear a lot repeated often in weddings. Love suffers long or is long suffering and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It's not puffed up, does not behave rudely does not seek its own, is not provoked, or some translations will say easily provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Paul, if we were having a conversation with him, Paul, why did you explain all of these different attributes of love? I believe there's two reasons that Paul is giving us here today. Number one, these are the very attributes of love, right? Kindness, long-suffering, all of this is love. These are the very things that were lacking in the experience of the church in Corinth. Listen, I'm talking about love. Let me, just, let me just clarify what I mean by love. 
But here's the other thing. This is the deeper thing that I think he's getting at. Why is he explaining for them what love is? Well, because love is what God is. God is love. And so, therefore, you could go back to the text right now. As a matter of fact, you want to go back there real quick. Look at the text now. Read it again. But instead of love, say God. God, God suffers long. God is kind. God does not envy. God does not parade himself. He's not puffed up. God does not behave rudely. God does not seek his own. He's not selfish. He's not provoked. He's not easily provoked. God thinks no evil. He does not rejoice in iniquity, and he rejoices in the truth, and on and on. God is love. This is the character of God. And if you know him, then guess what? You're going to become like him. You're going to display the same type of characteristics that he has. And so it comes back again. How do I get this love in my heart? Because guess what? We want to be one. And the only way we're going to be one, what Paul is saying is, it's through love. So how do we preserve our oneness amongst the diversity of our spiritual gifts and how we use them to serve one another? Guess what? We need, we need the love of God because, because if we are going to be one, then we need to have the same type of love that's on display in the Godhead. And by Godhead, what I mean there is what some call the Trinity. Now, I know that word Trinity is not in the Bible. Godhead is in the Bible. That's why sometimes I'll use the word Godhead. Yes? But what do I mean by that? Well, let me help you guys with the, maybe parents will understand this a little bit better. Right now, what's going on in our family is that our kids tend to treat themselves with each other how we treat one another, my, my wife and I. So, for instance, my wife and I are very hug, we're very affectionate. We're very, you know, touchy-feely. We, we want to hug. Uh, actually, early in our relationship, I was a little bit more me. And then she slowly kind of started to become more like me. <laughs> okay? So at home, we're very huggy and, you know, affectionate. And so guess what? That's how the kids now, when, when my son gets home from school and he's getting off the bus and my daughter's there with me when we're picking him up, she'll want to immediately run to the stairs where he's going to come off the bus and give him a big hug like daddy will give him whenever he comes home. They'll, they'll tickle each other just the way we tickle them. But something else that's happening is that my daughter, who's younger than my son, those of you that know my kids, my daughter Eden is younger than my son Tommy. But often we'll all, my wife and I will often say, hey, don't go there, don't climb that, don't touch that, don't put that in your mouth, get down, Tommy. That's dangerous. And now my daughter is doing the very same thing to my son Tommy. She's four, just turned four, and he's six. And she's saying to him, no, 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 stop it, Tommy. No, 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 that's dangerous. Why is she doing that? Because that's what we do. They're watching us and they're replicating how we are. And God is trying to invite us into the same thing. He wants to, us to replicate the ways of the Godhead. How they love one another and how they have loved us. Let me explain that a little bit more. From eternity past, even before God created the earth, there was just Father, Son, and Holy Spirit living in a constant ebb and flow of love. 
The Father living for the Son and the Spirit. The Son living for the Father and the Spirit. The Spirit living for the Father and the Son. They had one another. You cannot say with, with, with logical sense that God is love if he's not more than one. Because love is relational. Love is community. It's a life together. And therefore, God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And out of this love that they've shared from eternity past, they created a universe with other creatures culminating in the crowning act of creating humanity in their image, which is fundamentally love. So that we could experience as humanity what they had been experiencing from eternity past. Are you with me? And so what God has been after this entire time, throughout the, in, the entire unfolding story of Scripture, he made us in his image, and now through the gospel, he's trying to restore us to his image. That's why we need to be like him. Because he is love, and to be godly is to be loving. So good, I'm going to say it again. To be godly and to be holy, what it really, the, what it really means is to love like God loves. Therefore, the love that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have shared from eternity past, we need to be acting like that. Let me explain. If the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are one and equal, as it says particularly in Philippians chapter 2, 1 to 11, then the body of Christ, we are equal. And we're to manifest that equality to the world that God is trying to reach through us. We're all made in the image of God, so we all are one. We're, we're supposed to be equal. Brothers and sisters, the, 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 the Godhead operates in a way where even though they're all equal in one, they will take on roles of their own choice voluntarily for a period of time, as you see unfolding throughout Scripture, for our good and for our redemption. Classic example of this, another great place to see this is in Philippians 2. Jesus, the incarnation. He submits himself, humbles himself. He empties himself, it'll say, and he takes the form of a servant and he goes all the way to the death of the cross for us. And then he's exalted and he goes back to the Father. He sits at the right hand of God. But while he was on earth, he humbled himself and did not pull his own divine godness. He relied on his Father and the Spirit. Are you with me? So he functioned in his in his gifting through the Spirit, are you following me? In his incarnation for a time. So the role that he took on was functional. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? There's not an arbitrariness to the way that they function in their roles. In other words, if someone in the body of Christ has a particular role, it does not elevate them in some inherent way above anybody else. I'm standing here and I'm preaching the word of God, but I'm equal to all of you. Are you hearing this? Your gifts and your ministry is just as important as mine. Did you know that? Your calling, your anointing from the Holy Spirit to impact this world has the same mission-critical importance as mine. We're one. And for a time, we function in certain ways because God's trying to do something right now on the earth. We're to operate like the Godhead in love because we're their children. Are you with me? 
But there's one last thing that Paul wants to bring out to help us understand how to be one, how to be one in the midst of all of our spiritual gifts. And it's beginning in verse number eight, verse number eight. If you're there, let's dive in. Here we go. Verse number eight, chapter 13. Love never fails, but whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues or languages, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. Again, why is Paul mentioning these gifts? Because he's still talking about spiritual gifts. But what he's after is our unity and our oneness. Okay, let's keep going. Verse number nine. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. Here's another famous verse, verse number 11. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. Here's what Paul is saying. He's listing those spiritual gifts again. But he begins in verse, in verse 11. He says, but love never fails. What is he saying? Your gifts are temporary. They're important. They serve a missional function right now in the unfolding story of redemption on earth. But it's love that's going to last forever. Yeah, there may be a greater glory of how God uses you when you get to the kingdom at the, after the second coming of Jesus. But even your gifts, like I'm not going to be preaching the gospel the way I'm doing right now, or we won't be feeding the hungry in heaven, because will there be anybody hungry in heaven? Right? So your gifts, very much like how Jesus came and functioned when he came, your gifts have a function and a purpose, but your gifts are temporary. Love is the main thing. And it's most difficult for us in the church to keep the main thing, the main thing. And so he says, if you want to preserve your oneness in the body of Christ, among all the diversity of your gifts and ministries, the need to enter the excellent way of love because of love. The, the love itself is what's going to last beyond your gifts. It's kind of like if you were to evaluate your relationships in your life right now. It could be that there are people in your life that are more kind of benefiting from what you do for them than them actually pressing in and checking in and doing for you. Are you understanding? Fair weather friends. The kind of friends that the prodigal son had when he was in the far country of sin that partied up as long as he had the money flowing. When the money ran dry and where he couldn't find them. Sometimes we need to evaluate our connections, our relationships. We need to ask ourselves the question, is this reciprocal, right? Because the relationships really should be characterized by a kind of a giving and receiving. You follow me? 
And not so much based on what you do for someone else. What you do has merit and value. But the reason you should be in a relationship with someone is because of who they are. You like them. You know them. You love them. And this is what Paul is kind of getting at here. Love is the most important thing. Do you know and love God? And because of that, and you see how much he loves you, do you know and love one another? Because what you're doing for one another in your spiritual gifts and ministries is going to come to an end. It should get your attention as a Seventh-day Adventist that he said prophecy will end, <laughs> will cease. Will there be a need for us to prophesy and keep unpacking Bible prophecy to the world when it's all fulfilled? But love will remain. There is a call here to spiritual maturity. Because what he's saying is, look, spiritual immaturity is when I'm just doing all these things for God and I'm doing all this stuff, but I'm not concerned about how I treat my brother and my sister. I'm not concerned about the quality of my relationship with God and therefore how it spills out in everybody else. He says, when I was a child, I, I acted like that. I was, I was spiritually immature. But then I began to mature and understand that love is the main thing. And you got some in the body of Christ that still think that love is the milk. <laughs> that still think love is, oh, that's for the new believer. We need to get on to like Bible prophecy and the mark of the beast and the and 666 and the plagues, and, and which all have their place, all important. We need to talk about it. But the context, the point is love. How easy is it for you to love your spouse this week when they have not been lovable? How easy was it for you to love that person that you knew did not have good intentions towards you? How easy was it to love your enemies this week? How'd you do? Someone of a different persuasion, ideology. Love is the main thing. That's what gets the attention of the world. That you don't just love your own, you love those that are different than you. And you love them with the self-sacrificing love of Christ. This is the excellent way of love. This is what God has intended for humanity from the beginning. This is our future and our destiny. It's love. When this whole story is over, read Revelation 21 and 22. Finally, God will be with his people. There'll be no sin to separate us. There'll be no division. There'll be peace. There'll be harmony. There'll be other-centeredness all the time. No selfishness anywhere. And so God says, get in the rhythm of that. Start practicing heaven right now. That's more important than what you do for God. Even if you've been gifted to do all kind of wonderful things, it's more important for you to know how to love. Jesus will say in John 14, he's getting ready to leave his disciples. His, the cross is just hours away. It's the Last Supper. And he declares, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The excellent way is the way of Jesus. Jesus was demonstrating the love of the Father his entire time on the earth in his incarnation. And the most vivid, you've heard me say this over and over, the most vivid revelation of the love of God is at the cross. 
The accusation of the enemy in the great controversy is settled already at the cross. God is love. He's not a dictator. There's nothing arbitrary about him. He's not just angry, ready to strike you down. No. God is love. This is the excellent way. Do you receive the invitation? Do you want to enter into life in this excellent way? Because guess what? You can't produce it on your own. The only way we can do anything I've talked about today is to come to the cross. See it. See your God hanging there, willfully bleeding, not exercising his divine authority and power to wipe out his enemies. Though he could easily with a thought, but endured it, as it says in Hebrews, for the joy set before him. What's that joy? That you and I would be redeemed and living out the excellent way of love. Somebody here, as we get ready to sing this song, softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling, come home. Come home. For somebody today to come home, Means to come home to Jesus right now and give your life over to him for the first time. For somebody today, coming home means that you're returning home like that prodigal son. You have maybe been warming a pew, but now you need to recommit your life to Jesus. Do so today. For somebody, coming home means to come back to the excellent way of love. Like the church of Ephesus in Revelation, you may have fallen away from your first love. Come back. Come home today. Softly and tenderly, let's sing together. Thank you for listening to Living for Him podcast. I pray that you were blessed by this message and that you experienced the good news of the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ. I'd like to personally invite you to respond to this good news and take the next steps in following Jesus by clicking the prompt in the description. I've also created a resource to help you experience the joy of a close relationship with Jesus called the Life in Christ Daily Devotional Journal. If you'd like to experience Jesus daily, watch the good news of his story unfold throughout scripture, and do this as a weekly small group gathering, then get your copy today in print or ebook by clicking the link in the description. Living for Him exists to tell the story of Jesus for the equipping of healthy disciple makers who extend his reign of love. If you'd like to support the further development of this exciting ministry, then I encourage you to become a monthly supporter by also clicking the link in the description. Your support is greatly appreciated. You're also invited to like and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Subscribe to this podcast and subscribe to our e-newsletter by visiting our website at livingforhim.tv. Lastly, we kindly ask that you write us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any other podcast platform you're listening to us on, and share this podcast with your friends. I look forward to meeting you here again in our next episode, where our desire is that you experience the joy of life in Christ. Once again, I'm CJ Cousins, and I'm living for him.